You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There is a lot to get to on NBA Tread Deadline Day, but let's start with the four most important words that came out of everything that went down today. Fitz, say it with me. The Bulls are back. That's what you're thinking, right? Yeah. That's a no? That's a, it wasn't? Okay. Well, we'll get into it. It's Spain Lowry's and Lowry's still a rapper. Lakers didn't do anything. But, okay, sure. Sure. sure talking sure. Bulls and other stuff on ESPN Radio, <laughs> the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We will get uh, our buddy Wendy to come on and break down all of the day's events. Adam Amin going to come on and break down what the Bulls did and what it means. But let's start with what is probably the real biggest news of the day, Fitz, and that's for all the moves that did happen, let's quickly look first at those that didn't. And that big one is Kyle Lowry still being with Toronto. Now, this isn't that shocking because they don't hate each other, and he's the face of the franchise, and there was a lot of hand-wringing about letting him go. But it's mostly real awkward after last night where he threw up the deuces, Drake helped him say goodbye, and now it's like, I'm still here. I'm a little surprised. And by the way, I didn't know there would be math at the beginning. Four words. You know how hard it was for me to count that, but that's fine. I'm a little surprised that Lowry's still there today just because it's rare that you see an opportunity at this point in someone's career to have a win-win for everybody. If Lowry wants to go win a championship, that's not going to happen right now in Toronto. So they could move him. And in theory, knowing that he's a free agent this summer and at this point in his career, he may choose to simply go somewhere where he can win a championship. If they can get something in return for him, it felt like that would be the right move for Toronto. They were active in a couple other ways today. So I fully expected that we would get some sort of movement on Kyle Lowry once we saw other dominoes falling because it made sense for all sides. But I guess they didn't get the offer they wanted and they didn't want to move him for pennies on the dollar. That's all I can think. It just surprises me a little, Sarah. Yeah, what we heard from most people is that the two remaining teams were the Heat and the Lakers. And the Lakers weren't willing to give up the three pieces that it likely would have required to hit that um, salary that they needed around $24 million or so. Um, and then the Heat apparently uh, weren't able to give up one of their young stars that they have some hope in and ended up making a deal with Oladipo instead. We'll get to the Heat and the Oladipo deal. Originally, we had all heard Lowry and the Sixers, and I don't know what went down there, but obviously the Sixers uh, didn't give them what they were looking for. Masai Ujiri saying, listen, I'd rather hang on to this guy, who, by the way, last night in what he thought might be his last game with the Raptors, Put up a plus 42, which is his best plus minus ever. So he wanted to go out like that, hand up like MJ. And then he's like, oh, I'm back. All right. I'll let me know. I got to top that. Uh (laughs) I cannot wait. I cannot imagine going through like your last whatever and you put it all in. And then the next day you say, son of a biscuit. I got to do this again. Yeah. Unless, unless, and, and that feels like part of it is. I don't know that he really wanted to leave. He was saying even when anticipating a trade, no matter what happens going forward, I'm going to come back and retire as a Raptor, right? So this is a weird situation where you have a guy who doesn't necessarily want out and a team that doesn't necessarily want to get rid of him but knows that they're looking at not being good enough, right? They, I've seen a lot of revisionist history fits about the Raptors and how as soon as Kawhi Leonard walked away, they should have blown it up. To me, that's unfair to the rest of those team members that were a part of that championship and wanted a shot to prove that if Pascal Siakam kept developing the way it looked, that if Kyle Lowry continued to be a great team leader, that they would be able to put enough together to keep contending. It hasn't worked out that way, but I think revisionist history on that and to say you should have blown it up right after winning, that's terrible goodwill for a fan base, right? It just, to me, it felt like this is 
in inevitability. And, and, and early on this year, they started poorly and thought about this, decided to give the team a little bit longer to see if they would round into shape. They haven't. And now they're kind of stuck. But they just went out and won a title by being bold. I don't know that you need to force their hand here if they didn't get what they wanted. Yeah, you know, we always ask the question, it's like Sports Talk Radio 101, what would you rather have, one championship and then 10 years of awful? Like, is it worth it? Well, A, we don't know that we're going to get 10 years of awful, but I think Toronto's showing us that absolutely it's worth it, and you're a 1,000% right. I, I, don't, uh, I don't have any problem with the way they've gone about this. It made sense to see what they could get out of it. The wheels have fallen off this season, and Siakam is somebody that seems to be really angry at this point, and so not knowing where the future is going to be for Kyle Lowry is still, you can look at it and say, okay, as an organization, they know that they're not competing with the Nets. They know that they're not competing with the 76ers. They have an understanding of where they're going to be right now. Now, I do take a little piece because I'm looking at it and saying, I don't understand it. When people smarter than I am also seem to be a little bit curious on all of it, it makes me feel more comfortable. Zach Lowe from the Low Post podcast was on the jump. He was asked directly why they would keep Kyle Lowry. This is what he said. He has tremendous institutional value to their team. He's the greatest player in franchise history. If the offers were middling, if the offers weren't up to what they thought they should be, fine. I mean, this is a team that, you know, if you just give them a bad first round pick, they don't really care. They think we have a history of getting guys that aren't even drafted and turning them into players that are better than first round picks. So you got to give them something that matters to give up a player like Kyle Rowley. I'm not totally shocked. I, I am surprised given all the machinations that were going on today. It, it is definitely a plot twist I didn't expect, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, when, when uh, Zach Lowe says we'll see what happens and, and indicates that he doesn't completely understand, you're right. It does make me feel better as well. Uh, in making out offers for Lowry, teams had to figure out whether he would be a rental, whether he would want to get into contract negotiations and stay in free agency. And so now he will technically enter free agency this summer, and, and both he and the Raptors will get to decide together whether his future involves them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, giving you all the details on the NBA trade deadline today. We are not ignoring all the things that did happen in favor of the things that didn't. We just wanted to start with the very interesting case of Lowry and how that affected teams like the Lakers, who will likely now be very busy, as expected, in the buyout market. A lot of folks were holding them up as an example of a team going into this that needed to make a move. But the experts were saying, no, 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 it's not the trade deadline that matters the most for the Lakers. It's the buyout market because the person they have their eye on most, they were certainly in talks for Lowry. But the person they have their eye on most is Andre Drummond. And because of the makeup of this Lakers team, where they are not in a position to give up a bunch to get something back, which is what would have been required for the Lowry deal, they get someone in a buyout and they get to hang on to what they already have and very much need because this is a team that that lack of depth has been exposed with Anthony Davis and LeBron James out. So that leaves us with Drummond and LaMarcus Aldridge. And Adrian Wojnarowski was on the jump today talking about what the next bit of time in the buyout market looks like for those two. Both LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond are going to get buyouts with their teams, the Spurs, the Cavs. I'm told uh, that the Miami Heat are going to be a frontrunner for LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, he, is, he plans to talk to several teams, and same with Drummond. I think there are a number of teams uh, who'd love to have him, both, both L.A. teams, uh, the Nets, uh, the Knicks are certainly a team with some cap space moving forward. That could be intriguing, and, and Drummond will certainly have his choice of where he wants to play. Sarah, I think you make such a smart point when you talk about the lack of depth because that's going to be obviously the conversation today and the conversation moving forward for the Lakers over the course of the next couple of months. But that's also the conversation for the next couple of years. I mean, they have built this roster very intentionally saying, hey, we're going to be able to year in and year out 
bank on whoever we want to surround our two great players with. That's sort of what they've done. It leaves them a little bit of a flexibility issue when it comes to how they go out and acquire players. I don't have any problem with the Lakers looking around and saying, man, as much as we would love to have Kyle Lowry and as much as he means for right now, I can't give up three players plus future assets in order to acquire somebody that is essentially a rental player with no assurance where where they'll be next year or what it means for that team. So I have no problem with the Lakers looking at this market and saying, man, uh, as, as much as we care, like sometimes you just got to stand on the sideline and remember that your best two is better than everybody else's best two. So, you know, if you got to go to bat with that, that's not the worst case scenario. I completely agree with you. Now, I will say I could be probably moved by someone who wanted to argue that LeBron James only has so many years left. So looking ahead to the future couple years should be something you deal with in the future. And what you do now is really try to capitalize on putting together the best team to compete with a team like the Nets that looks like a problem. But I'm leaning more the first way. Um, I would need to have someone really good debate me on the second. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Coming up, we'll get into who did get traded. Some interesting players were on the move. It's next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I got a note for all of the GMs and front office people that work in the NBA. Pat Riley is the old and new Bill Belichick. If he wants to make a deal with you, run away. You're going to get fleeced. I don't know how (laughs) he keeps doing it. I know a lot of times when guys have their own choice, it's about heat culture and, you know, taxes and good weather and all that. But he even gets it done in trade somehow. I don't know if he's hypnotizing people, but stay away from Pat Riley because he's done it again with Oladipo today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Let's get into, Fitz, some of the biggest deals that we saw happen today. And one of them was right at the trade deadline. I'll take you behind the scenes. When, when it's trade deadline day on Around the Horn, we sometimes have to sit around. We sometimes have to even record the show out of order. I won't give too many secrets about how the points work then. I don't want to give anything away. But sometimes, like today, you have to tape out of order and wait around and see if something's going to happen. We're about to go. And boom, Victor Oladipo to the heat and Fitz, what's fascinating to me is that, listen, you're very much helped by the fact that Oladipo wanted to go there and you're going to get a guy who's motivated and wants to play and, and hopefully will better meet his potential uh, in Miami. But the Rockets get Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and 2022 first-round swap rights, uh, which include Brooklyn's pick, according to a source. It just, it's nothing. Like, that that's nothing. He's in the final season of a four-year deal. He could become a free agent this summer, so it is a bit of a possibility of a rental. But you just I, – I imagine there's other teams that would have given him more. Yeah, well, and, and you mentioned a rental. I think there are certain teams that are, are more comfortable with that. I mean, there are certain teams that will look around and say, hey, if I'm going to let you come to Miami and play for a while, I think we're going to have a pretty compelling argument that you're right. going to get used to this right down. You know, And the other part of it, I think it was smartly pointed out on ESPN.com, is we got to remember the Heat managed everything this year around they wanted to go after Giannis. And when Giannis turned out to be not available to them, for them to stay as nimble as they've stayed and for them to give themselves this opportunity, they add somebody. And, and I know you know, we talked yesterday uh, to Bobby Marks, and, and I said at the time, I, I struggle to see how Oladipo makes somebody drastic better but he makes this heat team better and you're right they got him for essentially a pack of frozen veggies like not good veggies not fresh veggies like the frozen kind in the mix where you're like picking through the carrots that have too much water in them like it, it seems like it's a heck of a deal by by the heat and they they come out big winners 
Evan Massey tweeted out, an agent told him on the Victor Oladipo to the Heat trade, Miami played this exactly right up until the last second. The Rockets were demanding Duncan Robinson. The Heat waited. Houston knew they'd lose Oladipo for nothing. Big win for Pat Riley. Feels like big win for Pat Riley is something that we hear a whole lot. And like I said, run away! Uh, (laughs) So Oladipo, a big one. The Heat, one of the big winners. Um, Gordon is also a huge one because we had a feeling, we were certain he was going to be on the move. Uh, A lot of the conversation leading up to the trade deadline was where is Aaron Gordon headed and what exactly can he be? He's averaging fewer than 30 minutes for the first time since the 2016-17 season. His shooting percentage, I believe, is second worst of his career. He's nearing another contract and he wants to prove himself. That's been hard to do in Orlando. He gets a great upgrade He gets an opportunity to play alongside some solid players with the Nuggets, and they add what they need, which is a willing playmaker and someone who is a great one-on-one defender who they can put up against the best players in the West. They needed that most of any team because they didn't didn't have that guy that you send uh, against LeBron, against Kawhi, and now they do, the athleticism there. And what it opens up for a guy in Jokic who's already having an MVP-type season, uh, this is a big one uh, to me, Fitz. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And by the way, I think the Magic, basically, at this point, they're just going to go to Disney World and see if Mickey Mouse wants to play for them. Like, they got rid of everything. And there's nobody left in Orlando. But not only do they bring in uh, Aaron Gordon, but they also do bring in JaVale McGee. So, like, they brought in a couple of guys that are are going to help them on both sides of the ball. And they're going to help them be, I hate this cliche, but gritty, right? Like, there's just a moment of, as, as good as that offense has been, having some people that can come in and really focus on being the disturbers, being gritty, it's something they talk a lot about in hockey that I think should, they should talk about more in the NBA too. You need certain guys that, that can set the trend in that space and that's what Aaron Gordon does. So this is a big win for the Nuggets who are just cruising at this point. Like nobody's paying attention to the Nuggets and they're looking around saying that's cool. Like we feel good about where we're positioned and if well, health does become an issue for the Lakers, they should feel good about it. Especially because Murray's starting to come into his own in the last month again after not having a good start post-bubble when he yeah. looked great. Zach Lowe was on the jump today talking about the Nuggets. JaVale McGee is a huge upgrade at backup center. He's a rim protector that they haven't had. And Aaron Gordon, to me, is a little bit of a wild card because what the Nuggets have discovered in the last month is they are unguardable with Michael Porter Jr. at power forward and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic on the floor. And what they wanted was a guy who could guard the bigger wings and maybe some power forwards if they're more threatening and dangerous offensive players to hide MPJ. But not clutter up the floor, not clutter up the spacing, be a little faster on his feet than Paul Millsap or Jermichael Green. And they're hoping Aaron Gordon becomes that player. Shooting, a little shaky, but he's a vertical element that they haven't had. He's a kind of cutter they haven't had. He's a better playmaker than Jeremy Grant, who they who walked away to Detroit. So I think the price was worth it. I think it's a meaningful upgrade. Yeah, Jeremy Sarah, Grant also- is a huge part of that. Right, They thought he was for sure coming back when he decided to go to the Pistons. All of a sudden, that's the hole that they just needed to fill. Well, and, and the great people at Stats and Info have pointed out, according to Second Spectrum, uh, the Nuggets ranked 29th in field goal percentage allowed at the rim this season to the point mm. that you made earlier. Mm-hmm. Like you, you think about that, only the Pelicans are worse. It doesn't matter what Gordon's offense looks like. It doesn't matter what his shooting looks like. They know situationally they can put him in and he can do exactly that one thing that they need. So it's a good pickup. And it's also going to get a lot better when you're on a court next to Jokic and Murray, right? That's just going to yeah. make all three of those guys better. Harder to gov- guard, and with this uh, three-point shooting, they have to uh, spread them out. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about all the big deals today at the NBA trade deadline. Playoff Rondo headed back to L.A., this time 
with the Clippers. And I thought what Brendan Haywood said on Shanae Angola Jr. today, uh, the NBA TV analyst and former player on the Clips adding Rondo was smart. The Clippers are a championship-level team that don't play smart the last five to seven minutes of a ball game. Well, if you have Rondo now, now you have that floor general out there that, 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 that competes at both ends um, that's going to understand where to get guys' shots. I think that's big for them. They needed a smart vet in that locker room. They, they, they definitely needed that, and I think that they got that in Rondo. I think Rondo was huge for the Clippers if they're serious about making a championship run. Completely agree. I was kind of surprised that Lou Williams got dealt, but I guess post the incident with the bubble last year, he hasn't quite been the same, and there was a little bit of tension around the team and him for that. So they send Williams to Magic City and Atlanta. He he gets to be closer to the wings, and you, you get an aging Rondo, but a Rondo that has, in the playoffs, been the guy that you want, and absolutely mentally for a Clippers team that collapses, this is huge. Yeah, last season, Rondo had the most assists off the bench in a single postseason since 1970. So, you know, I know he's an aging Rondo, but also you look at the lack of efficiency coming from Clippers guards. They're starting point guards averaging around nine points a game, uh, 2.6 assists. That's last in the NBA across the board. They need better play at the guard position. And even though Rondo may not be who he once was, he's good enough to be an improvement for where they are right now for that Clippers team. So, And every improvement matters in the West. Yeah, and very interesting, too, in terms of Personality-wise, he has the veteran status and the accountability to hold guys like Kawhi and Paul George to a certain standard where they will feel like even though he's certainly not an equal in terms of superstar power, he's done enough in this league and had enough success and held people from the highest to lowest levels of the team accountable that he could potentially create a better culture there where it does feel a little bit lopsided on the side of the stars, dictating practice, dictating everything else. Worth keeping in mind. Uh, We didn't get to the Bulls, which we're going to. My buddy Adam Amin is going to join us and talk all about how the Bulls went from a team that I wanted to relegate to the G League, like European soccer, and now are buyers at the trade deadline. A big day for Chicago fans who have been pretty sad of late. So we'll get to that in a little bit, and we'll make sure you guys all know how to say Vucevic. Coming up, who won, who (laughs) lost? An expert on all the big deals of the day joins us on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. There's a lot of excitement today as it is NBA trade deadline day, and that means we are going to bring in expertise to help us break it all down. Winners, losers, everything we need to know. So let's get to some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. To do that, we're joined by ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorse. On the Goodyear Hotline, Wendy, thanks so much for the time on a day that I know is absolutely hectic. So was there a move that you saw that really floored you, that blew your mind? Uh, the, the Magic trading Nikola Vucevic, um, because they had been telling people in recent days that, yes, they were willing to trade Aaron Gordon. Yes, they were willing to trade uh, Evan Fournier. But, you know, Vucevic is having arguably the best year of his career, was an all-star this year. And I was even talking to some executives after the deadline doing the old uh, debrief, and they were saying that they didn't know, you know, they had not heard from the Magic that he was available. And so that stunned some people. And and the Bulls, who are, you know, right now not in the playoffs, they're only a few games out of being like in fourth place, but, you know, they are, they paid dearly for him, two first-round picks and a good young player in Wendell Carter. And to to go for it now, they they want to make the playoffs this year. They think that they... Uh, you know, can can really put things together, and they upgraded a lot. So I think Chicago, 
with the in, in, a, in a deadline where there wasn't an overall lot of action and there wasn't a lot of uh, star player movement, Chicago saw a void and went for it, and we'll see if they're rewarded. Yeah, to that note, uh, Arturis Karnishevis on a Zoom today said, usually you don't get too many chances at all-star level talent. And that's true. Maybe the timing isn't quite perfect, but they're going for it, and that's impressive for a team that's been completely irrelevant for quite some time. Uh, Wendy, I was blown away by the Oladipo to the heat. I just feel like, you know how we used to say, never make a deal with Bill Belichick and the Patriots because they know something you don't. You're always going to get on the wrong side of that. I feel like shouldn't people know that about Pat Riley by now? You know, Sarah, this is a tough one. Um, yeah, I, I understand your point, and I think the Heat also had a very good day. You know, when you add in the Trevor Ariza move that they made a few days ago, they added some nice pieces and didn't give up any salary cap space and only gave up a 2027 second-round pick in picking up some, some nice pieces, including Oladipo. <clears throat> Oladipo, frankly, has not been the same player since he came back from that terrible knee injury. And I'm sorry to say that, and it's unfortunate, but he just hasn't been. Now, He's had individual games where he's looked really good. But on balance, he has not played well. He has not been the same defensive player, and his offensive efficiency has plummeted. And if you go look at the trades that Oladipo was in, remember, he got traded for Paul George. And then he got traded, you know, in that package, you know, where he was sort of a, uh, you know, a, a moving piece in the Harden deal. And now he gets traded today. All of these trades are for less and less and less. And if he hadn't have gone to Miami for – you know, I don't, again, I don't want to be mean, but it was essentially spare parts. He, he, he wouldn't have gone anywhere because there was nobody who was really interested in him, even as a rental. And mm. so, so not as much a, of a coup as many think. Yeah. Having said all of that, he has two months now to, to kick butt in Miami and get them to interested in offering him a long-term contract. But his value has been steadily declining for about 18 months. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst. Wendy, a lot of conversation going around the 76ers and what would be expected. They get George Hill. What difference does that really make to where they fall in the East in your mind? Well, you know, the 76ers made an offer for James Harden and didn't get him. Um, was it their offer wasn't good enough? Was it that the the Rockets liked the uh, Nets offer better, or do they just not want to do business with him and he was a stalking horse? The same situation here. He made an offer for Kyle Lowry. Was it not good enough, or was he being used as a stalking horse to try to get Miami and L.A.'s offers up? I don't know. I just know that Daryl Morey has made two offers for two, you know, probable, you know, two-star players and possible Hall of Famers and hasn't been able to get either of them. And so – They've got a great team. They have two all-stars, um, and they added George Hill, a guy who plays both ends of the court, can, can finish playoff games. He's very experienced. Um, but you, you just wonder if Philly left something on the table, that they could have gone harder after Harden or could have put something else in the offer today that maybe would have gotten them this player. And is this team, while a really good team, is it enough to beat Brooklyn at the end? Is it enough to beat the Lakers or Clippers if they come out of the West? We'll have to wait and see, but certainly the – the Sixers have been really deep into the two, you know, biggest trades of the year and, you know, didn't come out with the player. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorse on NBA trade deadline day. I agree with you. I think the Sixers, I thought there could have been a bigger swing. I don't think this is going to be enough, even though Hill's a nice player for their second team. I feel the same way about the Celtics. What What's going on there? The second deal that they made today, which you probably, which unless you were really paying attention, you probably missed. 
telegraphs where the Celtics are with this team. Right at the deadline, they traded Daniel Tice, who's a quality yeah. center. You know, not one of the best centers in the league, but they traded him. And the reason they traded him was to get out of the luxury tax. They didn't want to, to the Bulls for Mo Wagner. That's that's that's, that's right. the only reason it, I know that because it's my squad. <laughs> a very nice move by the uh, by the Bulls. Both of those moves today were very nice moves, and that tells you what you want to know. Yes, they got Evan Fournier, and they're they are they have been thin on the perimeter, and they've actually had one too many big men. So it makes sense that they would you know move out of a big man and get a perimeter player. That makes sense. But in reality, what they did was is this has been a 500 team this year, and while they upgraded, I don't. I didn't read ownership saying that this was a team willing to go deep on, which 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 means they didn't go after Aaron Gordon, which they could have potentially gotten, uh, and instead didn't make the quite same offer that they could have. They didn't weren't willing to give up any first round picks like Denver did, and then they get out of the t- you know they make a move to save money after getting their their player, and I think that's just an indication. Maybe the ownership doesn't feel this team could beat Philly or Brooklyn or Milwaukee this year or even more Miami, and maybe it's not the year to press the gas pedal. Now, that doesn't mean that they're quitting as an organization. They, they may have kept their powder dry so that they can go after somebody in the summer or next season when, it, when they get, may get more bang for their buck. But this Celtics team, I don't think is headed for greatness, and, and they telegraph that to Wendy, am I allowed to then connect the dots? I mean, if they're not going to go all in on this and things don't go well for the Celtics, what does that say about how ownership feels about the current GM and coach situation going after the season? Well, Danny Ainge's record is pretty strong, you know, and they've been to the conference finals like three of the last five years. Um, you know, they've had a bit of a talent drain there with Al Horford walking for nothing and Kyrie Irving walking for nothing. And basically Evan Fournier – uh, came back for Gordon Hayward because they used the trade exception uh, that they got for Gordon Hayward to uh, to bring in Evan Fournier, but it cost them a couple of second-round picks. So they've just experienced a talent drain a little bit, and so their team has been, has been thin. Um, the thing I'll say about it is they drafted and developed two all-stars, uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. <laughs> Getting the all-star players, and, and by the way, they've got them under contract. They play at both ends of the court. Like, that's the hard thing. <laughs> uh, that's what people, teams in the league dream of. Can we get two-way wing players that are young and under contract? So in a, in a way, the hard part is over for the Celtics. But they've got to build a team that works. And primarily the thing that has stalled them is a Kemba Walker, who was a really impactful signing, the guy they replaced Kyrie Irving with. Um, he's got a knee injury, and he just hasn't quite been the same player since that knee injury started bugging him over a year ago. And if he recovers and is healthy, they're a more dynamic team. But that's an issue. So I don't think it's a Danny Ainge issue per se because, you know, while he's had some players leave, he has brought in talent. It's just they haven't been able to get the role players. His drafting hasn't been terrific. But I think if you look at his his overall body of work, he's been the GM for 20 years almost, I think it, it, it will carry the day. Brad Stevens is under fire really for the first time in his entire coaching career. This is the first time – uh, that he is, his team is kind of underachieving uh, on a season. And so we will see how he adapts to that. I don't think there's any change coming at either side there, but I definitely think that he will be under some pressure to improve his performance. Yeah, Wendy, I think just impatience part of the thing that's that's got people down on the Celtics too, this desire to turn over all these picks and assets and actually prove it was something better than what we've seen so far. Before we let you go, I have a really quick one for you. You, you had your standings maybe in your head before now, 
did did any of the moves today drastically change where you're slotting any team? I, I want to see what happens with Rondo and the Clippers. So I know that people – that was a great trade for Atlanta because Rondo has not been good this year. They pick up two picks and, and a better player, frankly, in Lou Williams. But what the Clippers need is when a series is tied 2-2 and it's a five-point game in the fourth quarter, they have somebody to come down and get them into their offense. They, frankly, have been a substandard to poor clutch team ever since the bubble. If Rajon Rondo can help them win a tightly contested game five, a deciding game seven, a closeout game six with a great performance, which we saw him do over and over in his career, including for the Lakers last year, then that could be a trade that changes things. It might not look different in March or April, but if it looks different in July, it could all be worth it. Let's see how that one works out. Wendy, as always, we appreciate your expertise. I appreciate you joining us on such a busy day, my friend. Thanks so much. Have a good night, guys. It's great stuff from Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA Insider with the Straight Talk. Straight Talk Wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Coming up, our pandemic madness bracket needs an update. And in case you weren't sure who was starting for the Bears, they've given the kiss mm. of death. Worse than the vote of confidence. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. We've got uh, a bracket update to give everybody in just a minute as we are doing our What Got You Through Pandemic bracket. But before we get to that, Sarah, I wanted to get your thoughts as we've been talking a little bit about the Bulls. A lot of love. Wendy had some love for the Bulls. Like, it feels pretty Mm -hmm. good. Like, season of optimism for Chicago sports fans. Not so much, though, when uh, the team went to social media to identify Andy Dalton as QB1. They tweeted out a picture of Dalton in the jersey with the QB1 moniker, which has now led everybody down the rabbit hole of other times they've used QB1 around uh, Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky, and then it didn't work. It didn't mean anything. So I got to get your temperature. maybe when the Bills... Put up the exact same tweet for Nathan Peterman. Oh. Hey, Pe- you know what? I, I, as For all the Peterman hate, I wish I was Nathan Peterman. My guy just got $1 million, I think $1.5 million fully guaranteed from the Raiders to sit around and be the third round or the third string quarterback. Like Nathan Peterman's figured out life. Uh, standing around for a clipboard for a million and a half a year. Good Listen, Lord. So- I didn't say I didn't want to be him. I don't want him <laughs> to be my quarterback is what I'm saying. And if that's the last time we saw a tweet like this one, oh boy. Oh, my God. So what's your level of, like, you, you see the QB1 tweet, you know, your level of mind-blown eruption over this is? So it's not as much as people would think, and, and for only this reason. I'm very disappointed that this is our quarterback situation again. I I feel bad holding it against Andy Dalton, who's had a fine career and has been in a couple places that weren't great and by all accounts could very easily take over some of the top statistics for the Bears at this position in short order, right? He's he's not bad compared to what we've had. It's just a letdown because we expected and hoped for all that talk about Russell Wilson to, to pan out. Um, for me, it's it's the disappointment is with the, the letdown at the position. Um, with the tweet, it's it's necessary. He already told us at his introductory presser that the Bears had assured him he was going to be the starter, so we've already accepted that fate. And it was almost like they put QB1, period, end of conversation, right? Like, (laughs) this is who we're rolling with. Everybody get on board. Teammates, Andy, fans, you know, what other option do they have to just act like they don't have a quarterback and not be hyped and not be pumped on social media? You got to fake it till you make it. And we may never make it, so we might just have to keep faking it. 
Well, and and look, I think we forget sometimes that Andy Dalton got it done at the dumpster fire. Like, he got it done for Cincy, right? Yeah. When you look at his numbers, it's not bad. Now, I know he had some weapons in different times in his career, but remember, he took the Bengals consistently to the playoffs. I'm just saying that in and of itself is not the easiest thing to do. I have this image in my head of Andy Dalton coming out and being pretty good. And by being pretty, that's all he's got to be, sir. He's just got to be pretty good, and everybody will be pretty happy with him. I think the problem is, you're right, it became a fan base that was, in fact, with Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, and when you're talking about those names, you suddenly realize that at the end of the day, you got Andy Dalton. Doesn't feel as good, but at some point, you have to forget all that other noise and just stick to the fact that Andy Dalton, I think, can be a capable starter in the NFL. I think he can be a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky is. That's all they needed to do was at least make sure they got some upgrade, and they got it in a way that doesn't pin them down for the future. So I, I give the Bears some credit. Let's not go that far. Oh, let's. We, we don't have to be. We don't have to. I'm be a that beacon nice. of light and optimism. At yeah, this point, you know that's just that's that's who I admit. <laughs> Speaking of optimism, let's get to something that makes me a lot happier than the Bears, and that's our okay. pandemic madness bracket. Let's hear the intro. Spain and Fitz present pandemic madness. Fuck you, 2020. That's right. FU 2020 is right. But we at least wanted to go back and look at some of the things that did bring us joy during a very tough year. And there were some interesting results in yesterday's Southwest Southwest region. Easy for me to say. Uh, sweatpants absolutely ran away with things, beating the brakes off uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Bulk toilet paper, the four seed, taking out the five seed in Peloton. I was surprised, surprised by that. I thought that that was like a very prisoner of the moment thing early in the pandemic, and we all had gotten past our concerns about TP. But I guess people still really felt like wiping their butts was a necessary part of the last year or so, and I guess that's good. Yeah, I, right? I was a little surprised by I mean, the Peloton crowd is a loud crowd, so I thought they would, you know, they would step up. They did not. Crowd. It's a win uh, for, for wiping six. your butt. <laughs> number six, cooking. Upsets number three, public parks. Now, cooking, perhaps low low seated for, for how great it is, but public parks were the only respite for a very long time for many of us just to be outside in any meaningful way. So I was kind of surprised about that one. And then TikTok dominated virtual therapy. Uh, it's a little more joyful to think about TikTok dances maybe than uh, pouring your guts out to a therapist. But I would argue that one probably actually did a lot more good than the other, and it's not the one that advanced. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes we need vapid, right? Like we just need right. empty, empty we need empty things. calories, we need empty mind moments. Like this, that's what TikTok gave us. So, you know, I'm not surprised by cooking, a little surprised that TikTok won as convincingly as it did. So, uh, look, I, I think so far this thing's playing out, uh, that bracket played out a little bit more chalk than I expected. Well, get your pants ready and your, I don't know. Your bras for the uh, Northeast, where there could be some upsets, which include a five seed of going brawless and pantsless uh, for the majority of the year, which I think a lot of people appreciated. We start out at the one spot, Zoom parties taking on Mm -hmm. a number eight seed in the Great British Baking Show. Now, Fitz, for a lot of people, Zoom parties was the only way to see and interact with their friends, but I've also heard a lot of people reacting to the initial bracket release with a lot of poo-pooing of these parties. Yeah, I, look, I mean, Zoom parties were fun for like the first month when we were all, let's, we're in this together, let's get through it together. And then after a while, it was like, I don't want to see you here. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think British Baking Show could pull off a little bit of a, they'll keep it closer than we expect. Let's say it that way, as a food show fanatic. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of people, though, just stopped following the rules and started hanging out in person. And those of us who, like, never left our houses, we still needed those Zoom parties. Like, it was no, still really true. important. That is probably true. 
Um, a number four seed, Taylor Swift's Folklore, which I'll, I'll tell you, I legitimately had a panic attack one day and I started Googling because I couldn't figure out why I couldn't see. And I thought I'd attached retina and I Googled COVID and it turned out I was having an anxiety attack. And that's why there were just my I couldn't see. And I laid down and listened to Taylor Swift's Folklore for a half hour and I was good as new. Uh, so she truly did get me through 2020. Uh, but she's going up against Brawless and Pantsless, which was nice. It didn't get me through, but it was nice. I kind of need Brawless and Pantsless to advance because I have this imagination, imaginary world where Sweatpants is taking on Pantsless in the last round and nobody knows what to do at that point. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Are we wearing them? We don't wear them. Absolute but that record is chaos. spectacular. I, yeah. yeah. Do we love our sweatpants <laughs> or do we just not want any pants at all? Uh, Brawless is is key and clutch for us ladies i'm sure you've seen the ad of the woman taking off her bra and drinking a beer that's all of us when we get home um you just have to be careful on the stairs uh number three seed video games taking on number six versus battles a lot of people very angry about this one this is a tough one versus battles there weren't as many they were amazing they're just you know i bet people spent more time with the video games yeah, I, I think video games is going to win here, but I got more joy out of versus battles. Video games just reminded me that I missed real football in front of real people because <laughs> I played sports games. And finally, a number two seed in Ted Lasso taking on a number seven in Tending to Indoor Plants. I have 28 plants in my house. I had two before the pandemic started. I bought 26 plants in my house during the pandemic, but Ted Lasso is still going to win that one for me. I've never seen Ted Lasso, and I hate indoor <gasps> plants. I'm out on this matchup entirely. Wow! This is this is a bad matchup for me. You're the bad worst. matchup. You're the worst. <laughs> oh, that is cemented. All right, we've got it up on Twitter. You guys can vote up there at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Coming up, the Bulls are back. More on their big news moves with an expert next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All right, let's try this again, Fitz. Big NBA trade deadline day. Lots of things happen, but I think we can all agree that the four words that sum up the day are the Bulls are back. Thought you were going to be with me this time. The rehearsal earlier and then the uh, Spain and Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz, be a teammate, friend. You know, I, if, I'll, I'll support your NBA. Oh, you don't have an NBA team. Yeah, I forgot. Right. Or an that's MLB right. team. Or, well, we're working on it. We're working on it. I know I, who My will heart can't me. handle the level of, like, uh, <laughs> level of angst I go through on Sundays all year round. I just can't do it, sir. Can't do it. Oh, the Raiders. It's like, it's like having the fandom and the dis- disappointment of multiple teams. Uh, they get it all covered for you. Uh, I know someone who will help me celebrate a big day for the Chicago Bulls, and it is the voice of the Bulls, friend of the show, Adam Amin. Adam, what a day! This is going to be an off. I was telling Stash, I'm like, this is going to be an off day. I was. They're so rare in this compacted schedule in the second half of the NBA season. I was going to watch like the last two hours of the Snyder Cut, which will probably take me a week anyway. <laughs> and I was I was going to chill out, and this became a work day, but for very good reason, and. I think the buzz around Chicago is very apparent. Uh, I think Spain, you could probably uh, feel that a little bit too during the day. Just a lot of chatter, a lot of excitement about it, a way more positive uh, reaction than negative. So, Adam, what was your reasonable expectation before all that chatter started? Like yesterday, what did you think the team was going to be doing? I, I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you, buddy. I, I did not think they were going to do I thought they were going to stand pat. And I think part of that had to do with uh, what's what's been billed as a kind of very methodical, 
reasoned, measured approach for Arturis Karnaschovas, VP of Operations, and, and Mark Eversley, who's the GM, it just felt like they didn't, it didn't feel like they were going to put out first-round picks and be willing to deal. But that's also part of their, their kind of you know, aura. They're, they're, they're pretty close to the vest uh, compared to other front offices of years past other front offices and other organizations, they, they play things pretty close to the vest, which is fine. I think it's probably better off for, for their sake and for the organizations uh, to, to operate in that fashion. So I think a lot of us weren't expecting the type of moves that we saw today. Listen, it's not, I don't know if people would term this a blockbuster day. I don't think so. But I think this is a pretty significant day, especially relative to what the feeling was prior to March the 25th of 2021. Adam Amin with us talking about the Bulls. I mean, Adam, I've been saying this for a couple years now in a in a really unkind way, but I've meant it. Like, send them to the G League. Have relegation. Make them earn their spot because I just felt like this team was poorly managed and was never really given a shot to compete, and it was endlessly frustrating. So to have the kind of turnaround to go from that to being buyers – now having two all-stars, having a guy that you added in Vucevic that has more double-doubles this season than the entire team, that is one of just a few players in the NBA to have the statistics in history that he has, not just this season, this is huge to me. And it's huge because maybe it's a little early for this Bulls team, but it means that from here on out, probably they're keeping the best that they've got and they're going to get aggressive and add more. That's how I see it. Yeah, I think it, I think smartly aggressive came to mind when I was trying to think about how to evaluate today, and and I think I used that phrase relative to what previous front offices looked like because I, I think the the previous regime, the the Gar Foreman John Paxson regime, was I, I don't think they were they were bad evaluators, but I don't think they were aggressive enough in trying to improve the roster that was directly in front of them post Derrick Rose. And to you know, there was that one flash in the pan year. It felt like uh, I think it was four seasons ago now, where you had Rajon Rondo and you had some really good pieces around him. And of course, that was the year Rondo got hurt uh, two games into the series against Boston, and then Boston ends up winning the series. That you know, that was the last time they were in the playoffs. And since then, there hasn't been a lot of smart, smartly aggressive movement until today. I mean, this this took seven, eight hours. Obviously, it took longer than that, but we saw it all develop over the course of seven, eight, nine hours. And and it's it, it's a very aggressive move in, in the current market yeah. of the Eastern Conference. I think a lot of teams in the East got a little bit better, but I think the Bulls got significantly better based on what Vucevic, what you talked about, Sarah, brings to the table. So then we're talking to Adam. I mean, you can hear him on the Bulls play-by-play all the time on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So it makes them better. So what's the realistic expectation for where this team should fall moving forward? You know, it's hard to, to gauge it right out of the gate because there's 29 games to try to make a real push. Now, they're in the mix right now for the play-in tournament, but is a reasonable expectation to be a top-eight team? I think that's a reasonable expectation to be maybe a seven or an eight seed. They, they, should, they are five games better than they should be. They've blown five games. They have blown terrible leads this year, multiple 20-point leads. They're one of two teams that have blown multiple 20-point leads this year. Uh, you know, they've, they've been, been beaten at the buzzer a couple of times this season. So if you use those five games, turn them into wins, yeah, it looks a lot different. They're probably the seventh seed right now. So I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation considering the, the boon in talent that you just picked up, not only in Vucevic, but I think Aminu is a good role player. And I think Tice is a, is a very important 
piece from Boston that had some much-needed toughness uh, on the defensive end and some much-needed rim protection as well. So I think overall that there should be a boost of a few wins, and I think seven or eight uh, is a reasonable expectation, so you only have to win one game in the play-in to make it to the top eight. And Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio talk about the NBA trade deadline. The Bulls, a surprising player in this. And, uh, you know, Tice comes over as well. You're just adding pieces around it. And I think that the thing for me is I would rather at least feel like they're taking swings and going out and getting big talent and maybe timing it a little wrong than sitting back and, and, and not being in it. And it feels like with, with Zach Levine, they had to kind of Hooper get off the pot, I should say. Either you're getting rid of him because you're not going to build a winner or you're going to treat him like the all-star that he is and make a run to try to get closer to a contending. Um, where are the, the biggest holes still that looking ahead to, to next year and the year after they really need to add? I still think point guard is a necessity. And, and there were still some talks about trying to trade for Lonzo Ball. New Orleans didn't feel like they got a good enough deal from the Bulls or anybody else to deal him, and that's fine. I think as a lot of people have accurately pointed out, Lowry Markkinen's a restricted free agent. Lonzo Ball's a restricted free agent for New Orleans. Those are guys that you can use signing trades for. You can go get a guard like Alonzo Ball in the offseason. And, you're yes, you're going to have to probably overpay a little bit for a ball. You're, you may have to max out Zach Levine, who's still got another year after this season on his, on his four-year deal. Uh, you're going to have to pay for these guys. Vucevic is going to command $40 million over the next two years, although it's a descending contract, so that's good for the Bulls. But you're, you're going to have to pay some money at some point, and I think the Bulls understand that. They didn't feel the necessity to mortgage everything just yet for that piece. That's still going to be a key piece, but the addition of Vucevic, in particular in the pick-and-roll game, he's as good of the, at, 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 as the role man as you have in the NBA in pick-and-roll, and Zach Levine is a top-five player as a ball handler in the pick-and-roll in terms of productivity. So you could have, on paper, a very deadly pick-and-roll tandem, and that takes a lot of pressure off of the other guards like a Thomas Sadoransky, a Kobe White who's been relegated to the bench for the last handful of games. That takes some pressure off of those players, and maybe you can run a little bit more with Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic to try to emphasize more of the ball movement and work off of those actions. Well, it's uh, it's very exciting. I'm sure you're excited uh, to add uh, to some of these guys that you're going to get to watch on a nightly basis and see uh, just faith in the front office is such a nice feeling right now. Uh, Adam, thanks for the insight. Sorry about your day off. Appreciate you, my friend. <laughs> All good, kids. We appreciate it. <laughs> Adam Amin, Bulls play-by-play guy, friend of the show. Uh, follow him and watch uh, his game calls. They're so much fun. Adam brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. Next, we'll get a little deeper into the Bulls, the other winners and losers at the deadline. It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Happen to follow Magic City Kitchen, which I don't, but I stumbled upon it. They're getting in a fight with B-dubs because Buffalo Wild Wings tweeted out, Welcome home to Lou Williams. Lemon pepper wings on us when you get to Atlanta. And Magic Mm. City Kitchen wrote, Y'all, it's really not too late to delete this. So we got wing wars. We got wing wars happening over a wing aficionado, Lou Williams, who is headed to the Magic City. And sorry, B-dubs, more likely to Magic City's kitchen. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And before we get to some of the winners and losers at the NBA trade deadline, 
Um, all of the following people were winners in my book because they created some great content. Shouts to B-dubs and the Magic City Kitchen. Um, Evan Fournier, chef's kiss, because I've been talking about Evan Fournier's nickname being Don't Google for years. One of my very first appearances on The Levitard Show with Stu Gatz, it was announced that his nickname was Don't Google. I, in fact, did Google in the middle of the show. Uh, saw things that are burned into my retina for the lasting uh, uh, nature of my life. And now I use it as a weapon. When people are annoying me occasionally, I'll just send them a link to Google Fournier. And when he arrived, uh, traded to the Celtics today, he wrote, Hi, Celtics fans. If you're not familiar with me, please Google my last name. You're welcome. And is there anything more perfect than him going to a team with the name Gangrene? <laughs> Oh, sir! Like I fell for this one time. I had no idea, and I googled Fournier, and uh, I, I no, I'm not going to do it again. I'm just saying, uh, I'm out on it. But I love the fact that he just trolled an entire fan base. I want to go Amazing. back to the wings for a second, yeah. though. Like, okay, are you a big wing eater? Are you a wing aficionado? If uh, you may recall that I've been a vegetarian for a number of years, but before, yeah. before I was pre- a boneless wing aficionado of the fifty-fifty here in Chicago, which has the best. Yeah, well, you know, it's always interesting to me because the wing thing gets really heated. And one of the things I didn't know when I moved to Connecticut is that, like, they take a lot of pride in their Like, if you ask people where to eat, the, the battle is always on on who has the best wings in town. And I'm like, guys, they're wings. Like, like I don't know why oh, it's no, the no. compulsive wings, but it, it's, it is. I mean, J. Tim's in Connecticut, like, they made their whole reputation on wings. They're, they're great. They're spectacular. But I'm always con- I'm constantly amazed at how passionate people yeah, get. Wing wars like, I love and pizza wings. fights. I love Everyone throws yep. down on wing wars and pizza fights. And I just want to tell everybody, they're all good. We can enjoy all of them. Uh, we should not ever enjoy Googling Fournier, though. But if you do, uh, definitely click images. I'm going to need you to click images when you do that. Um, also, Terrence Ross, part of the uh, Magic still, one of the only remaining players on the Magic, just posted the meme, look at me, I'm the captain now, as he watches mm. the rest of the team just get traded all around him. So good. Um, I, I, I love the content. Um, and so shouts to everybody who uh, had a little fun with it. Uh, I know it's a, a very stressful day. I, I, I know um, some of the coaches said uh, maybe shouldn't have had a shoot around on NBA trade deadline as someone might be in the middle of shooting hoops with their fellas when they find out they're not on the team anymore. Um, but there are a, a, a lot of good things that came out of it for a couple players who end up in a better position. Um, and, you know, and then for those, maybe not. Um, Brian Windhorst, who was on with us earlier, uh, started the entire crew of the jump laughing with a simple question about the Houston Rockets. Well, I just think the Houston Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding my tongue right. a little bit because That's you amazing. look at what you look at what James Harden is doing. For the Nets, yep. and you look at what their return is, and I gra- some of those picks four years from now may hit, but today it's rough, and what they got for, for Victor Oladipo was akin to a fire sale. They got next to nothing for him, and I, I just don't feel great about those transactions. Maybe they'll use those picks in the future, but today I don't feel good. Yeah, I mean, Fitz, we can go back and look at this Harden deal now that Oladipo is on the move to Miami, and it's bad. It's stark, right? So the Harden deal ends up being four first-round picks, five first-round pick swaps, 20 games of Victor Oladipo, Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek, Dante Exum, and Rodion's Kirks. And we don't know what those picks are going to be, but he's an MVP-type player who's absolutely destroying with the Nets, and the Rockets just had a, what, 20-game losing skid. 
Well, and that's what I always say. The, the only thing worse than being bad in the NBA is being irrelevant. Once you become irrelevant, how do you get to the point that you get people to care about your franchise anymore? It's part of the reason that I think there was so much pressure on Milwaukee to get a, a deal done with Giannis, right? Like, you don't want to become the point where like nobody talks about you anymore. And that's where Houston is suddenly sitting. Like, they've gone from being a team that has a lot of pride in, in years of history, not just with Harden, but pre-Harden, obviously, where they've been very good. And now all of a sudden you look around and say, man... So you're going to build this thing through the draft? Like, I mean, that's cute, but that's the same thing Oklahoma City's saying. I, I think Bobby Mark said earlier they have 34 draft picks over the next seven years, right? Like, uh, it's an awesome concept to think that you can just stack yourself with a bunch of picks and you're going to get this thing figured out. But I, I just can't rely on that to build a franchise around. So Houston now becomes worse than bad. They're irrelevant. Are we even going to be talking about the Rockets a year from now other than when we want to have a good laugh? And that's unfortunate for a franchise that has a lot of pride. And for Silas especially, it's been real. Yes. Spain and Fitz talk about the NBA trade deadline. Uh, Brendan Haywood was on NBA uh, was on sorry Chenangola Jr. talking about what he didn't see and would have liked to have seen from the Celtics. When I see what Vucevic went for to the Bulls, I'm like, you're telling me the Celtics somehow, some way, couldn't have matched that or put together a package that was just as attractive? I think we all know that the pe- like when we look at Boston, they're built like a Krispy Kreme donut, a lot of sugary stuff on the outside, but a hole in the middle. And they had a chance to fix. They had a chance to fix that with uh, Vucevic, and they didn't go for it. Your time is now. Go for it, Danny Ainge. Like, listen, you can't hold these cards forever. Go for it. I don't think they went for it. Their their team is starting to implode, and they can't blame Kyrie for the chemistry this year. They got to find another fall guy. Uh, so you know, Wendy kind of showed a, a little bit of insight into that, and and the Celtics just looking at this roster and saying we're not going to make it. You know, five hundred team upgrade a little with Hill, but not willing to spend or go deep to go out and get a Vucevic or a Gordon. Don't want to give up those first round picks. I agree with all that, but I do think, and we ran out of time with Wendy. There's a frustration there, and Haywood, you know, perfectly encapsulates that because you can't hold on to all this money and these picks and this future and the idea of what you could be. At some point, you got to put your foot on the gas and really try to compete. And that's the hard part. Like, when are you at that situation? Like, you were just we were just talking to Adam Amin about the the state of the uh, the the Bulls, right? Like, at least the Bulls have gone in at this point and said, okay, we're going to make an aggressive effort to get better right now. I think that's part of the reason that you know you can look at the Seventy Sixers and say, hey, they didn't overspend at the trade deadline, but why not? I mean, you're really good. If you're the Celtics, you're looking around and saying, okay, what is all this future equity doing? Like, there's a fine line between reaching and overspending. We fault teams when they do that. But then you turn around and say, hey, if you're even in a pocket of contention, you have to be as aggressive as you possibly can. It comes a little bit back to the conversation we had earlier with the Raptors. Like, I won't fault the Raptors for going all in on having an opportunity to win a championship and trying to continue that process. And they did it. Uh, you know, I guess I guess if you're the, if you're the Celtics and you don't think you have a shot this year, okay. But when, you know, when are you going to actually put the foot on the gas and make good on all of what Danny Ainge has been ha- has been you know making for himself and this team over the last couple of years? And to Windhorse's point, they've certainly developed some draft talent. And that's been great. But now, you know, take that next step. Um, the Lakers, uh, not losers. A lot of people said, you know, them standing pat, they needed to add something. They're going to get back the two best pieces out there, which are their own players who are going to get healthy, and they're going to have an opportunity and almost likely, uh, certainly, will be getting Andre Drummond in the buyout market, and that's going to be a big difference for them too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fault anything that happens for the Lakers because it's very simple for them. 
They get healthy, they're going to win. They don't get healthy, they're not going to win. And I, I just, to me, that's that has to impact everything you think right now as you're building that team for the rest of the season. It, it's about LeBron and AD, not anything they did or didn't do today. Uh, we might get back to some of this NBA trade deadline stuff, lots to talk about, but we wanted to switch gears for a moment here. Uh, we touched a little bit on Dan Snyder and the majority ownership of the Washington football team, the minority owners getting out and him having even more of a stake in running this team. But I wanted to dig in a little deeper to the hypocrisy of the NFL and the opportunities they have. And we're going to have a guest join us to do that next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've been breaking down everything you need to know about the NBA trade deadline, and we will continue to have some of that conversation. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a story that hasn't gotten enough conversation that we've been talking about on this show, and that revolves around Washington football team owner Dan Snyder, who will gain almost complete control of the franchise. The NFL's finance committee has cleared the way for him to buy out his minority investors. As a result, he'll end up owning virtually the entire team. There is still a vote that needs to take place in favor of the transaction, but it looks like right now he's going to end up owning the entire Washington football team. It does not impact the independent investigation into the franchise by attorney Beth Wilkinson, but we want to get a little insight to it. So to do that, we're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by USA Today columnist Christine Brennan. Christine, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate you joining us to break this down. So part of what I think has really hit Sarah and I is that the league had an opportunity through all of this to really make sure that it was continually fighting for some voice to change in the culture behind the scenes for the Washington football team. They haven't seemed to do that as they're only giving him more control of the franchise. So what was your reaction to the news that he's now going to be able to have more power within the organization? Well, it's great to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. And my reaction was, I think probably the reaction you guys had, complete opposite of what I expected to hear. Mm -hmm. Instead of Dan Snyder getting more control of the team, and I wrote a column last summer about this when when the Washington Post was breaking all these important stories, um, I thought that he was going to be kicked out of ownership the way that Jerry Richardson was with the Carolina Panthers and Donald Sterling uh, in the NBA with the L.A. Clippers uh, several years before that. Uh, so the thought that he's not going anywhere, and in fact he now has complete control of the team, is is really stunning. And I agree with you guys that, that this is surprising. It's not getting more attention. In D.C., where I am, in Washington, it is. Um, and people are outraged, and no one likes Snyder anyway, and no one likes what he's done to the team over the last 20, what, 21, 22 years. So the thought that he's going to be the owner, I mean, he's only uh, 56 years old, he could be the owner for another 30 years, is not a pleasant thought in Washington just because of the, pro- the product he's put on the field. But, but this really does kind of get r- right to the, the core of what we believe and do we believe women. You know, 42 women have alleged in two separate Washington Post investigations that it's basically the football team is a cesspool of sexual harassment and misconduct during uh, Snyder's tenure. And so this is the reaction from the NFL. It's really stunning. I couldn't agree more. And and for those who want to root for this team, talk about an upsetting flip of events to go from, okay, the minority owners are pushing, everybody wants them out, this is terrible for the team, to the opposite. Now he has even more power and more control, and it required the finance committee to approve a $450 million debt waiver. Essentially, he needs to go out and get a loan to do this, and they're all like, yep, sure, go on ahead. We'll help you find your way into more power. And Christine, when we talked about this last summer, a lot of what we said was that 
for the most part, we imagine other owners don't want people digging around in their houses. And if they focus the spotlight on Snyder and everything that's gone wrong in terms of culture and everything else, then that might get turned back on them. And that might be the reason they protect someone who has very clearly over the course of decades between the name and other brought great shame and embarrassment on the league. Uh, is there any other reason you could imagine why there's no desire to remove him as an owner? Sarah, I remember you said that last summer, and you nailed it. Um, it, is a, it is a closed club. I was going to say mostly a boys' club. It is mostly a boys' club, but there are some women, of course, too, um, who are owners or, um, or part owners, what have you. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is what you know, we've seen over the years with the Ray Rice thing, where everyone said, oh, Roger Goodell's going to be fired. And I, I've known Roger for a long time. And, and of course, I still wrote, of course, very ne- negative columns about him during that, that, that as we saw the, the punch in the elevator. But it's like, no, 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 quite the opposite. Roger Goodell is taking all the incoming for everyone else. The owners want him there as, you know, just to, to be that person, mm. obviously, as well. Of course, he's the commissioner. Does well, other it's things, easier but, to beat if he's a terrible owner. Well, well, exact. Well, that yes, and and the team has been lousy for years. You know, I covered the team back in the '80s, Sarah, when they actually won games and won Super Bowls with Joe Gibbs, and those were the glory years here. And there is now a whole generation of people who've grown up and gotten gone to college and gotten jobs who have never known that. Um, and yes, they made the playoffs this year. I mean, that was bizarre, and they did a few years ago with RG three. But in general, it's just been awful. Meanwhile, this has really become a baseball town. I mean, you know, the football team owned basically what July, August you know, training camp, and then all the way through the fall to January. And now, with the Nationals, especially winning the World Series two years ago. Uh, this is really a Nats town more than it is the Washington football team. And, and that's saying something by itself, because I never would have thought over the years that that would have happened here. We're talking to USA Today columnist Christine Brennan on Spain and Fitz. And, Christine, it's only funny to me because you, what you speak is so true. I moved to Maryland in high school, and I'll never forget turning on the TV, and they were showing a scrimmage, a, a Washington football team scrimmage against the Steelers, and it was like the world shut down for a midsummer scrimmage. I've never seen anything like it. Like that area was so passionate for that football team that obviously doesn't exist now. But this is also a man that has made it clear that he wants some stadium uh, issues and things like that. I mean, at some point, does the does the community and the fan base have any recourse to actually force any sort of change within this organization? If he's the owner, Jason, you know, probably not. Um, you know, that's pretty powerful. Now that the name has, has changed, or, well, right now, <laughs> as you put in on Twitter, you know, the uh, uh, WTF or the yeah. WFT, which is, yeah. you know, of course, perfect, and, and it certainly it lends itself to that. Um, but the name is, you know, the, the R word is gone. That was prohibiting the team from moving back into the city because Mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser, of course, you guys have seen her a lot over the last few uh, months with all the different stories in Washington um, and the and Trump stuff and, what, and Black Lives Matter, what have you. Well, she, there's just no way she or the D.C. City Council were going to allow that team to come to, back to D.C., where they want to be after RFK, RFK Stadium years ago, with that name, with that offensive racist name. Well, the name's gone. So now I would, you could see them coming back. It's not till 2027 that the lease is up out at FedEx Field, which is in Landover, Maryland, kind of the middle of nowhere, very difficult to get to. I shouldn't say the middle of nowhere. It's the suburbs of Maryland, but it is really difficult to get to. So people are salivating for the idea of having uh, the team come back into the city, and now that can happen because of, of the name change. So that, that cleared the path for that. Um, but, you know, this is a town, I don't want to tell you guys, it went like 98% for um, Hillary Clinton and I'm sure the same for Joe Biden. 
uh, in D.C. So I don't think there's much of a stomach for sweeping uh, sexual harassment allegations under the rug. Having said that, uh, interestingly, the, the, the Washington Post uh, reported today the president of Times Up of the Times Up Foundation, Tina Chen, who used to be the chief of staff for uh, Michelle Obama, has said at, at, saying it would be a grave injustice if uh, the Snyder's allowed to do this and, and consolidate power before the findings of Attorney right. Beth Wilkinson. Right. So there's some hope here that if they were to put this off until then, because I think they should. I think we should know what went on with that team before you give the ultimate power to Snyder. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. USA Today columnist Christine Brennan with us here on Spain and Fitz. I completely agree with you. The fact that the league is saying that's a separate matter, that's not possible. You can't be investigating the owner and his complicit nature in the culture of the team while simultaneously helping him get a bigger stake. And according to at least one Forbes story that I read, Roger Goodell was pushing for the sale of the minority partners because he didn't like the legal battle that was very public and the fact that it drew bad attention yet again to Snyder and the team in the league. So if Roger Goodell is pushing for Snyder to get more power while simultaneously claiming that there's a valid investigation into all of the wrongs that he may have committed and his role in the culture that we heard about through the Washington Post exposés, that's such a conflict of interest. Uh, it, it's it, it's not surprising, but it's very frustrating. Do you have any idea where that investigation is? Is there a chance it might be done and presented before all of this is completed? Well, I hope so. No, I do not have any, uh, uh, you know, it's really hard to know. Right now, there's, we, I, the Washington Post, of course, broke all the, this, and you know, all, all the stories of Liz Clark. Of course, we love her, and she's been out front on this, Mark Maskey also, and a few others at the Post. And so there's been no reporting on that, and I have, I have no inside information on that either, Sarah. So we don't know when the investigation is going to be coming down and, and the results of that. We don't know if it's going to be made public. One would guess with the great reporters on the story that maybe there'll be a way for it to leak out and we will find out. But we do know, and I think it is important uh, for your listeners, again, what we're talking about here, 42 women alleged in those two separate Washington Post investigations last summer. Uh, this absolute cesspool, as I said, of, of sexual harassment and misconduct under, under Dan Snyder. Um, and in the second story that came out, I believe it was in August, uh, there were allegations that there were lewd outtakes of a video, a lewd outtake video that was made yeah. from the cheerleader uh, photo shoot, uh, and it was done for Snyder, allegedly. So that, and it, there was also an indication, uh, an allegation that he wanted to uh, have it, one of the cheerleaders go up and meet one of his friends in a, a hotel room, which clearly uh, was, there was an implication that something was going to happen there. So Snyder was not um, separate from the second set of allegations. Uh, he was included. Either way, it's either going on underneath you in terms of you're the president, you're the owner. I mean, you're not the president, you're the owner, and you know what should know what's going on with your own team, uh, or you're actually involved. Either way, it's terrible. And so I did write a column last summer saying that he needed to go and that, that the league should get rid of him. <laughs> so much for that idea. It's gone the complete opposite, 180 degrees. Now it's like, hey, he gets all the power. Um, there's also a thought that because of all the debt he would take on, that he would want to then get others uh, other co you know owners he would want to um, sell some shares you know uh, some share of the ownership back to someone else just mm. get rid of the people that he's been feuding with um, but I do believe going back to that investigation I, I strongly will say this we should know the results of that investigation before 
this uh, this financial um, decision and this is 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 determined and completed. Uh, we should know that Dan Snyder should not have 100% control of this incredibly important franchise, an iconic cultural uh, franchise. Uh, if in fact we do not yet know how involved he was and what he knew or didn't know about the awful allegations that were going on with his team. You guys can read her on USA Today. As always, we appreciate your time. Christine Brennan coming on with us. Thank you so much, Christine. We appreciate your insights. My pleasure, Sarah Jason Bates. Great to be with you guys. Take care. Thanks, Don't forget, guys, the college basketball season's reached tournament time. That means Wendy's Wooden Watch has announced the final ballot. Go to ESPN.com and search Wooden Watch for the list of Wooden Award nominees, the John R. Wooden Award presented by Wendy's. Christine just gave us a lot of information. There's one thing that the league is doing that's far different than just sitting around and letting this happen. I'll tell you what it is and what the league should do. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We just had USA Today's Christine Brennan on with us as we talk about the decision that the league is making, the NFL, I should say, uh, clearing the path for Dan Snyder to buy essentially all of the Washington football team. And Sarah, I said before we went to break that in my mind, there is there's two important pieces of information for everybody to understand. One, the league is not just sitting back. And remember that there is an investigation that is currently ongoing into the allegations uh, of sexual harassment with the organization. Uh, and that's being handled by attorney Beth Wilkinson. That is still ongoing. So the league could, in this situation, in my mind, they could easily take a vote, decide on what they're going to do, and then pend everything until that outcome, uh, until they have an outcome from the investigation. But I think it's important for people to understand that the league is not only allowing Snyder to do this. One thing that they're doing is they are allowing for a $450 million debt waiver. That means they're actually sitting back and saying, hey, we're going to change our debt ratios so that you can accomplish this. It's, an, it's part of the lingo of what they do monetarily behind the scenes. And that, that's far different from standing on the sidelines saying, hey, Dan, we're going to let you do that. No, this is the NFL saying, hey, Dan, we're going to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish, which is buying these shares. So not only are they not waiting for the outcome of the investigation, they're going full steam ahead to mm-hmm. help an owner continue to buy more shares. That makes zero sense to me. And it says everything, just like we've said, the NCAA has shown their true colors about how they feel about women's sports. Well, this is the NFL showing their true colors in my mind. Right. This is them helping him get the loan that he needs in order to do this. This is Roger Goodell pushing for this to happen to avoid further embarrassment about the minority versus majority owner situation there. This is every way not removing themselves from the situation and allowing it to be, as they said, a separate matter. They are aiding and abetting Dan Snyder in achieving more power, and that's going to make it even harder if there is an investigation that proves you know, what we all suspect when 42 plus women are, are saying it's a toxic culture, um, when they come down with the results, this is a guy that they've all just endorsed and aided. Uh, that gets a lot stickier than if they waited for all of this to end first. Uh, well, and that's the the easy thing for the league here would be to just wait, wait out the process and let's see what happens. Because the amount of egg on their face, it, it, this this is the other part of it, like the NFL, I constantly uh, throw them under the bus for being reactive instead of proactive. This is one of those moments. 
since they are choosing not to wait, if they go ahead and approve all of this, they give Snyder more control, and then the investigation plays out in the wrong way, in a way that makes Snyder look even worse than we've already heard, in a way that, that sort of brings all of this even further into the into the forefront of everybody's consciousness, all of a sudden the league is going to look absolutely stupid. And there is no fine. that I mean, when you're talking about an owner writing a check for $875 million, roughly, according to reports, to buy out the other owners involved in the process, how much are you going to fine him that really makes a difference? So if their answer is... Well, well, we're going to fine him $10 million. Like That's laughable when you think about the amount of funny money that he's spending in this process. So the NFL's only got one win, and that win is to, at this point, stop everything, pend everything until they get the outcome uh, of the investigation. Yeah, it's uh, not likely to happen, uh, but uh, <laughs> I think we need to keep being loud about it the same way we were incredibly loud about Urban Meyer hiring someone who had just been fired for racism a couple months earlier and trying to ask the NFL, is this what you mean by equality on the field? Is this what you mean by standing by social justice statements that you've made? If this is going to happen just months afterwards, then you are not keeping that energy from last summer, and it's not actually manifesting itself in meaningful ways. It's just PR statements. And if people don't hold these leagues and teams and individuals' feet to the fire, it is way too easy for them to go back to the status quo. And in the case of Snyder, it can't simply be that we're all outraged by a Washington Post story and then we forget about it. It's just it's not okay. Uh, and it's really frustrating. I'm glad Christine came out to talk about it, and we will keep talking about it, too. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I wanted to quickly get back to the NBA trade deadline because um, there's a funny story from Highly Questionable today. So you saw last night Kyle Lowry is uh, potentially believes he's uh, doing his last press conference as a member of the Raptors, and Drake FaceTimed him in the middle of it. Now, normally I think Drake inserts him into a lot of situations where he wants to act like he's a professional athlete when he very clearly isn't. But I felt like this was a very awkward and sad moment for Kyle, and the smile on his face and the interaction with Drake uh, made me feel like, okay, he, he cut through the tension a little bit, and I appreciated it. And it was funny. He said he was going to be his translator. We were talking about it on Highly Questionable today, and Pablo Torre started acting like he was going to FaceTime someone as we were taping. And I said, first, if it's not Childish Gambino, we don't care, uh, because Pablo was friends with Don, Don Glover, and I like really want to hang out with him. Wait, wait, and wait then, that, that's real? Pablo, Pablo's It's real. real. Yeah. I know we got to get in on that for what's sure. What's it take to get an intro on that one? Uh, Come on, it's, it's going to take a while. But uh, and then uh, and then he was like, "No," and he showed me the, the 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 screen, and it was he tried to Facetime Mina Kimes, and she didn't pick up. And then I was like, "All right, well, you know, don't show up with Daryl Morey or something. That's not good enough." And then Katie Nolan said, "Well, let's both Facetime Daryl Morey and see if he answers either." So then, in the middle of the trade deadline, mere hours before the actual deadline hits, Daryl Morey picks up Pablo's. FaceTime request and is on for <laughs> roughly three seconds. And we all go, Daryl, hey. And then he just hangs up. Meanwhile, right like five minutes later, Sham Sharania posts something about what the Sixers are doing in the trade deadline and a deal that they'd made. And we were absolutely mortified that, first of all, Daryl Moore was interrupted mid-NBA trade deadline on the busiest day of the year by our dumb show. Also that Mina Kimes was too big time to pick up. But, but Daryl Moore decided it was worth answering the FaceTime. And then he direct messaged Pablo and was like, I just saw it was on TV. Too funny. Ha ha. So it doesn't sound like he's going to sue us or otherwise make us pay. Do you think he knew, like, was it a pocket pickup? Like, that's, you know. My guess is, like, he was engaging in, like, vicious tweeting back and forth with all of his different people on a trade and just, you know, didn't even look and and pressed a button and was like, what? What's this? Pablo, get out of here. I mean, that's. (laughs) That's got to be the only solution there, where you pick it up and you're like, oh my, like, we've all done that, right? Where you're trying to send a call to voicemail uh, yeah. or whatever, and somehow, somehow you actually, yeah, that's what you usually do to me, sir? Is that what you're saying? 
Uh, no, no, no. I'm always oh. engaging intentionally. I love spending time with you outside of work. Oh, Definitely not just when I'm paid for it. Man, this is this is this happens to me a lot. You know, this just happens to me a lot. I, I, that's awesome, by the way. And uh, I'm still stuck on the childish Gambino thing. Like, so how long until I can I can like hit Pablo up and be like, hey man, how about an intro? Like, listen, do I I'll wait tell you tomorrow or like I've had tonight? some serious FOMO because there's some pictures and it's like Pablo and Jesus and Mero and Don Glover and. All sorts of folks. I'm like, what do I got to move to New York? I don't want to move to New York just to hang out with fun people. I mean, like, how's Pablo got that level of street cred? Like, I don't think of Pablo being like that. It's got to be something Harvard, really. He probably paid for them to be friends with them. You know, like school. You know, you know who I'm friends with? DC and Helwani. They're coming up next. They're going to get you set for UFC 260 this weekend. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.